covering a, a series called The Other Side for a number of weeks, actually about 16, 17 weeks. If you had been counting, you would have noticed that it is um, that many. But um, we'd been focusing on this, this idea that God has called us as the people of God to move to the other side of things. And we've used the picture on, about the Israelites having gone through slavery, gone into a period of being in the desert, and then they needed to cross into the promised land. And so they physically had to get to the other side of a river called the river, um, anyone? Jordan? Jordan to get to Jericho, and then actually led them into this new promised land. And we felt that as, as a church, God was speaking to us about getting to the other side. And so over the last 16, 17 weeks, that's what we've been talking about. And this morning is going to come to an end. This is the last morning that we will be talking about the other side in the context of a series. And next week, we're going to share with you later on what we will be doing. But um, as we conclude this series, I, I want to give it a title um, this morning and call it A Long Obedience in the same direction, which is something that I have been kind of walking around with for many years. I, I, I picked up a book probably about seven, eight years ago on this topic. Um, a guy by the name of Eugene Peterson that wrote the Message Bible, um, or did it and paraphrased the Bible a bit, and he wrote this book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He got it from a philosopher, a, a, a German philosopher who was alive between 1844 and 1900 and, um, and just kind of termed this as something that we as believers need to understand that the way we live is not just a short journey. And so there are key words in this title this morning that I want you to grab with me. Are you ready? Okay, can we look at that side? Are you guys okay? Over there, you ready? All right, over here, are you guys ready? Yes. Over here? Is there an over there? Are you guys okay? All right, so we're going to... Yeah, that's better. Come on, you see? Guys are over there, they, they, they're really good. They may be the ones that arrived late last, because normally when the people that come in last, after nine, they... No, not all of you. Uh-huh. We, um, we have seen that the people that come in last have to sit there because that's the only place that's open. But anyway, we still love you. By the way, 9 o'clock is a great time to be here. Hint, hint. <laughs> anyway, in, in the title, there are a couple of key words that I want you to grab hold with me this morning. Are you all awake? Amen? Great. You know what is so nice this morning? I, I'd just been on this wonderful journey. Um, for three weeks, we were in the Czech Republic, and I had to preach like this. Good morning to all of you. It is really great to see you all and be together. And because we had to have translation the whole time. This morning, I'm free. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Anyway, it's my fault because I can't speak their language, so it's not their fault. I need to change. The key words here is, first of all, long. Say with me, long. So it's not going to be a short journey, this. This is a long journey. Another key word is, uh, we don't want to say that because we know that there's, um, there's some consequences to this word when we use it. The second word is obedience. Say it with me. Obedience. And then it gives another word that we need to grab hold of, and that's the word same. Same. Say it with me, same. So in other words, what we are obeying today and the journey that we're on is going to be the same journey we're going to be on in the next year. 
Because we follow who? Jesus. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. All right, so we're on a long journey with Jesus to obey Him, and what He had told us in the past will be the same that He will tell us into the future. Don't come and tell, oh, you know, Jesus told me to, you know, contradict what the Bible teaches us, because what was happened and what was said in the past will be the same that He will say into the future. Amen? Sometimes we come up with some strange new doctrines and theologies that ain't found in the Bible, and we've got a call. We are on a call and a long obedience in the same direction. Now, I got to this, this, this message this week as I, I woke up one morning, um, which we all do, some of you in different ways than others, some of you later than others, but we all wake up in the mornings. Uh-huh. And I'm assuming all of you are awake. By the way, we have a brilliant new baby in our midst that I missed last week, um, little um, Abigail Teron. <laughs> well done, Paul and Mel. It's great um, to see that. And um, there was a baby that's been floating around also from the UK that has come. And, and they're going back again. Um, Latoya going back with her little baby. So, yeah, babies are happening, it seems. Uh-huh. Hint, hint. <laughs> Let's not go. That's a private joke, okay? <laughs> I just kind of, that came out of nowhere. It's like, huh, maybe it was from God. You never know. Anyway, um, where was I? Somebody help me. Anyway, yeah, I, I woke up this week, one morning, like we all do, and these words just flashed through my mind. Famous last words. I kind of woke up with that, just constantly in my mind. Famous last words, famous last words. And I knew that I was going to share this week on, on, very, on just the last um, Sunday on this topic called, or this theme the other side, and I, and I immediately knew what God was saying to me, because the famous last words, in the context of where we were dealing with the Israelites crossing over, Joshua leading them, is a man called Joshua. And Joshua's famous last words are very profound, and has actually been words that and many of us have, have, have caught on for um, maybe many years of our lives, and, and, and so I, I went to the famous last words of a man called Joshua. Now just in the context, we're going to read from about Joshua 23 and 24, the very two last chapters of Joshua. And, and in that context, we find that at this moment, when Joshua comes to the end of his life and he utters these famous last words, we see that Joshua has about 110 years old. Anybody here close to that? Shane, thank you um, for lying. Um, it's like, you want to stand up and just admit that that was a lie? <laughs> anyway, um, so Joshua is 110 years old. They've been in the promised land as the Israelites after they crossed over through the River Jordan for about 40 to 50 years now. Same time that they'd been in the desert about. So Joshua had led his people and done exactly what God had told them. And, and it's been a profound time for them. They kind of settled nicely and established themselves in the land. And they're at a place here called Shechem, which is about 40 to 50 kilometers north of where they were initially at Jericho. So I want you to look up in your Bible with me. We're going to just refer to some of the, the references to try to create a little bit of context for us about Joshua and, and the moment that he's now about to pass away and, um, and what he has to say to the Israelites. 
In Joshua chapter 23, it says in verse 1, listen to this. A long time afterwards, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years. You're not well advanced in years, Shane, sorry. You're still a spring chicken when it comes to 110 years. And so Joshua is now meeting with all the people, and I'm not going to read through everything. And, um, and he encourages them. He says, guys, there's been some great things that God has done for us, but you need to continue to serve the Lord. He reminds them in verse 5, he says, The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. These are the, the, the nations that are still around in, in this land called Canaan. He says in verse 6 to them, he says, Therefore be very strong. By the way, we're not putting the, the notes up there or the words up from the verses because it's great to have your own Bible. Uh-huh. And if you don't have your own Bible, please come and talk to us and we can help you to have a Bible. But it's great to have a Bible, whether you page or swipe, that's great. Just use whatever it is available. He says, the Lord your God will push them back before you. And then verse 6, be very strong and to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Turning aside from it neither to the right nor to the left. Very clear instructions. He says, guys, come on. We've done so well up to now. Don't leave it. And so cling to the Lord, he says in verse 8. I love that. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Verse 11, he carries on, he carries, carries on in encouraging them. He says, be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. He says, if you didn't turn away from this, there will be consequences to this. And then verse chapter 24 happens. We're at this place, Shechem. The covenant that they have made with God is renewed. Joshua gathered all the tribes, verse 1. And he um, gathered them to remind them. So here comes the famous last words of him. And he reminds them that we, remember, we came from beyond the Euphrates. And you will read from verses 2 of chapter 24, kind of like a summary of the last couple of hundred years of the Israelite nation. And... Um, and in that, he reminds them of the goodness of the Lord. And then in verse 11, it says, um, And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, like 40, 50 years ago. And then in verse 13, he says to them, The Lord said this, I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards, of olive and olive and orchards that you did not even plant. So it's kind of like this undeserved blessing and favor of the Lord that is upon them. And he reminds them, guys, this is what was given to you. You didn't deserve this, but God gave it. All right? Now because of that, he uses the word now. Now therefore. Because of what God has done. And this incredible inheritance that you have in this new nation. Now therefore. Because of that. Due to the fact that God has done all this, listen, he reminds them, he says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And then he says in verse 15, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Guys, this is Joshua saying, guys, we, we have seen the incredible 
goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. And, and He's given us stuff that we don't deserve. And He's protected us and He's walked with us. But He says, but unless you carry on with this, you will not experience the unmerited and undeserved favor of God. You've got to choose. And so he makes this profound statement and he says to them, choose what you want to do. And the people come and they say, yeah, yeah, we will serve the Lord. And they, there's a beautiful response and, and we want to be this and, and, and be followers of God. They, put, they, they clearly state to, to Joshua and, um, and that's how kind of like the, the chapter ends. Then we turn the page to read what happens next. And this is where judges come in. So beautiful, here in, the, in, in, the, in the, um, the Bible is that these two books are basically back to back. So the history just carries on. Literally, one day it ends in Joshua. The next day it carries on in Judges, the book of Judges. And so here in Judges, we find something almost completely the opposite. We have just seen a nation confirm again they will serve God. They've gone to the other side. They've experienced this incredible grace of God, undeserved. And here in chapter 2 particularly, let me read to you what happens here in verse 6. Now this is, again, kind of just going back into the book of Joshua and reminding us of what happened. It says in verse 6, When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him with the boundaries of his, in, of his inheritance in timnath in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. So the generation of Joshua, the Joshua generation, had now died. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So in one moment, basically, you know it's not just a second or a few minutes or a few days, we see that the incredible work that had been done and the faithfulness of a people to God stops. And when a new generation comes, something new arises. And so what we term a long obedience has not been that long. It's been, perhaps, if we can estimate, after Joshua had died, it says the elders and the people of his generation also died, say another 20, 30, 40 years. All that they had lived for had come to an end because the generation after them, the Bible says clearly, did not know the Lord and did not follow him. And they did their own thing. It's kind of scary, the difference between these two. We see here the judges stands in complete contrast to what we find in the book of Joshua. Joshua, they were strong. They were very courageous. They meditated on God's word. And they observed all to, that they needed to do according to God's word. But in Judges, we find a different scenario. And I'm just going to give you just a comparison for you to look at. 
We don't have the time to even study this in detail. But if we look at the book of Joshua and the book of Judges, you will find two different things being outplayed. In the book of Joshua, according to what we read in Joshua 24, verse 16 to 18, Israel knew the person and the power of God. In the book of Judges, we find the opposite. They did not know God at all. It had changed. It had come to an end. That generation who knew him did not. And the second thing in Joshua, we find that they focused on a long obedience. We see in Judges, and we'll look at it a little bit more in detail, partial and eventually complete disobedience to the Lord. Judges 3 verse 7, if I quickly just read that to you, it says, And the people of God did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth, which are the gods of that time and the age and the people that were around them. And so they just completely ignored God. In Joshua we find victory. If we read all about it in the book of Joshua. In Judges we find defeat. In Joshua we read that conquest came through belief. And their belief system. In Judges we find that defeat came through a disbelief. And a compromise that the people entered. Opposites, hey? Opposites. In, Judge, in Joshua, we read further, as you study the book, we see that there's freedom. In, in the book of Judges, we find there's complete bondage. Actually, in fact, before that, Israel served God, and then in Joshua, Israel served self. So here in Joshua, very clear, they wanted to serve God. In, in Judges, they said, well, we want to do our own thing. Then freedom came. In Joshua, in Judges, we see bondage. In Joshua, we see progress. In Judges, we see a falling away. There was no spiritual progress. We see in Joshua an attitude of joy. We see in Judges, sobbing. And there are particular examples of that. We see in Joshua a sense of unity. People are together. They're doing things together for the glory of God. We see in Judges, anarchy and chaos. Just carrying on, just summarizing the two. We see that in Joshua, people judge sin. They see when there's sin, we've got to deal with it. In Judges, sin is tolerated. Well, we can do whatever we want to do. So when sin comes up, it's not an issue. We're just kind of like, what's the best way to just tolerate this? We see in Joshua that authority is, or is recognized. In Judges, clearly authority is rejected. And then lastly, there are two names that I'd like for us to look at a little bit later. There's a name called Gilgal, and there's a place called Bochim. Two different places, two different scenarios. One is an incredible place, and we preached about that a couple of weeks ago when I shared with you what happened at Gilgal and how the nation was incredibly connected to God and how they submitted to Him and... and, and, and made a covenant with him, and, and there was this real thing of circumcision that took place, and, and how they, in that moment, God said, the sin of the past, the, the reproach of the past is rolled away from you. That's what the word Gilgal means. The word Bachim means weeping. When God spoke to them in Judges 2 and said, your sins, they realized, oh my goodness, we've sinned. They was weeping. But there wasn't real repentance. And so the ultimate fruit of all of this, if you compare these two scenarios, Judges and Judge Joshua, and how they served God in one, and how they denied God and rejected Him in the other, 
is following just three different words that I want to give to you. It's the word apathy, the word apostasy, and the word anarchy. The apathy really is this. is when I say, oh, I can do anything. I can't do anything about it. There's a problem, but we'll, we'll just take care of it tomorrow. And, and it's kind of like a postponing of it. It's a lack of interest. It's an unconcern about something that has gone wrong. And we find that it seems that in the book of Judges, that is what happened. That apathy crept in. But it didn't stay at apathy. It went further into apostasy, which is the next word that I want to give to you. It's here when people depart from something they once held to be true. It's the abandonment of what was previously believed to be truth. So not only would they become, okay, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be apathy. It went into apostasy of, I don't know whether we should hold on to these things as before. Kind of my grip on the truth becomes less and less. And I let go of it. And not only did it end there, it went even further. It went into total anarchy, which is explained by this. Don't tell me what to do. I know what to do. I'll do what I want to do. I know what is right. I know what is wrong. And anarchy is a dangerous place. It's a state of disorder due to the absence or a non-recognition of authority. It's an absence of government in our lives and an absolute freedom of the individual. When we all say, oh, I want to be free, I want to be free, we're actually not called to be free. We're all called to be under the governance of God. And if we become apathetic in our walk with God, it can lead to a place of apostasy where we say, I don't believe in the truth, which will lead us to the, uh, the eventual place of anarchy where I say, I don't care. I'm, I can rule myself. And we find that this is where the world in its secular format through humanism is steering towards where we can govern ourselves. I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. I can decide what is right for me. And so where in Joshua, there's a complete submission and a willingness to follow God. We find in Judges that the opposite appears. And we so easy perhaps could could, um, could judge judges and the people in judges. But beware, because apathy and apostasy and anarchy is around us. It's very real in this world that we're living in. So where does that leave us <laughs> this morning? Remember I said, title of my message is a long obedience in the same direction. I want to suggest to you, the question we need to ask ourselves is, how do we build such a long obedience then? If these things are around us, because they are real, whatever happened in the book of Joshua and in Judges are things that you and I deal with even on a daily basis. And the choices that they had to make back then are similar choices, different world, different environment, but the same issues we have to deal with. And so I want to give you four things this morning just to encourage you from this portion of Scripture as we come to the end of this series on the other side and as we look at the famous last words, as we look at the difference between Joshua and Judges, I want to give you four things that will possibly, out of this context, help us to build a long obedience 
in our walk with God. And the first one I want to suggest is we need to be confident about our own present faith in God. Joshua was. Joshua stood in front of the people. Famous last words of a man called Joshua. He says, you need to choose whom you'll need to serve, you want to serve. Whether it will be the God of the Egyptians that you came from, or the God that took you out of slavery into this promised land, you need to choose. But for me and for my house, how confident thing to say about even his house too, and the people in his family. He says, but for me and for my house, we will serve the Lord. Our present faith is what we will boast about. Not the faith that we one day will have. It's like one day I will weigh my ideal weight. <laughs> you know? I'll work towards that. What is your ideal faith? What is your ideal level of faith? No, it's got to be where you are today. Your present faith is what you need to be confident in. And I don't know what your present faith is, friend. But it needs to be a faith that you need to and could and should be confident about. They'll say, my present faith will carry me through today. Tomorrow? Oh no, I'll have faith for tomorrow. But for today, in this nation that we're in, our faith is often based on what will happen tomorrow and the days thereafter. Base your faith on today. Work on today. Tomorrow is another day, Jesus said. It'll care about itself. But let your faith be enough for today. And let your faith be something that you're confident about, that you're able to talk about. And it's great what Clive had said earlier on. Let our faith be heard this week. Let it be something that we speak about. Because Joshua did. He was confident about his faith because he was confident about his God. He had seen his God at work. He had seen who his God is. And therefore he could speak about his God. And therefore, our walk with God needs to be of such that we engage Him in such a way that He builds a confidence in us that we can talk about Him. Often we are asked to talk about someone we have no idea of who He is. That's why a lot of Christians are afraid to evangelize and just talk about God. Because our level of relationship with God is so, is so shallow, we have so little to talk about. Our level of confidence in the Word is so shallow, we have so little to refer to. And so we need to encourage one another to deepen and to strengthen our walk in God so that our present faith will become our present conversation and our present confidence. And so I encourage you. That's why we are a body of believers. We need one another. We need each other to to strengthen one another, and to let our faith in God become a more confident thing we refer to. So we see clearly that for Joshua, it was my long obedience is based on my faith that I have in God today. The second thing that I want to suggest to you that could build a long obedience is it's not only to have your own faith, but to help others find faith in Him too. This is quite an alarming thing in the context of what we have been looking at this morning. And so my, 
my reason why I'm, I'm, I'm submitting this to you as, as a key for us to, to develop long obedience is that we need to understand that there's something that we carry that others need to taste of too. Which brings us to this big word that we often fear in a sense called discipling people. And discipleship is really just helping people. We all are apprentices of Jesus. We all want to follow him. We all want to become more like him. And so we all are disciples of Jesus. And in that process, we need one another to grow in our faith. And it seemed like something had gone missing in the midst of a beautiful environment here in Joshua. Joshua served God. And the elders and the people with Joshua served God all the days of their lives. But then it stopped. What they were confident in, what they lived for, was brilliant. But it seemed not to transfer into the next generation. And God's call on us is always to make sure that what you and I carry doesn't stop with us, but carries forth into the next generations. Where we see a man called Joshua live under the shadow and in, in relationship with a man called Moses, and Moses, in a sense, training Joshua. You see it beautifully illustrated so many times in, in the Bible, where Joshua was close to Moses constantly learning from Moses that when the time came for Joshua to do what he needed to do he was well prepared it seemed I'm just reading the Bible all right I see the absence of that happening from a Joshua to the next generation reason I don't know why and others it seemed like also didn't carry that forth into the next generation that when the next generation had come and the previous one had died out, there was very little of God being brought into that generation. Point is this. You and I have a massive responsibility to what we are confident about. Not keep it to ourselves, but to pass it on. And many of us are in a privileged position still where we have family at home. We have sons and daughters and kids and whatever that you can pass it on to. That's great. Do that. Many of you don't. Many of you don't have children perhaps. But you are in a situation, in a position where you can carry something that you are confident about to others. That is the, the model that Jesus had left us with. There's no other model here on earth to see this world reached but the model of discipleship through current believers. There's not a generation that will come and, and redeem us from our responsibility and say, don't worry, boys, we've arrived. You guys are going to step back now. Here we are. Like in the movies I often do when these whatever, you know, what do they call these super whatever guys come? I don't know the language. Um, they, they come and they kind of redeem the earth of, of you know, the problems that they have with this evil thing that's come. So like, ah, don't worry, guys, we're here. We'll sort you out. We don't have that in the kingdom. There's not another plan. The plan is you and me. 
And we've got to take what we have received, what we are confident about, and pass it on to the next generation. And the best place to start is at your home, is at your workplace, in your relationship that you are involved in. To pass on what you have. But if you don't have a confidence in what you do have, you've got to grow in that. That's why we need one another as the church. We need to learn. We need to grow, not head knowledge, but experience, so that what we grow in, we can more easily pass on to others. And from my reading, I noticed just that maybe there's something that we can learn from what went wrong here. And it's not about the, um, judging these guys. It's just saying, man, something went wrong. Why? And is it, it's our responsibility, church, to, to think about the future and help others grow. And if we don't, what will be the future of King City Church? What will be the future of the church here upon the, upon the earth? If we don't grow ourselves, in ourselves and with each other, and pass it on. There are many of you that have grown because of the help of others. It's time for us to understand that we need to grow others too and reach out. There are fathers and mothers in the spirit, not just by age, but because of experience, that are here that can help sons and daughters grow, not just by age. People that are perhaps 40 years old, 25 years old, that have grown in God, that can help others grow too. And so we need to work together as a body. Third thing I want to mention here is that helping us to develop a long obedience is we need to avoid partial obedience. And when you look at the examples in Judges 1, we find that what they were supposed to do in terms of driving out the enemy so that God could establish them without infiltration from the the gods that these nations were serving. God was saying, listen, go into this nation, drive them out completely so that you won't be infiltrated by their philosophy of thinking and by the worship that they have. But what we see is they did not do that. They did not completely drive them out. And you read in Judges 1, Manasseh, verse 27, did not drive out the inhabitants. Ephraim, verse 29, Ephraim did not drive out. They did not drive out. They eventually became servants of theirs, which is like a great compromise. God, um, we didn't drive them out, but they'll serve us. Now God said, drive them out so that you will be worshipers of God and not be influenced by their worship. We see that it didn't happen. And their partial obedience by not driving out completely became a snare eventually. Because the gods that these people served, the Canaanites, became the gods that the Israelites served too. Judges 3 verse 7, you read it. They eventually served the Baals and Asherahs. Because the Baals were there, the people weren't driven out. It's clear that there was partial obedience. What we actually then find in the rest of the book of Judges is not a description of the of the fruit of peace. Because what happens is that God would raise up a judge. That's why the book is called Judges. A person that would come and kind of like help the nation to turn back to God. And it would happen for periods of time. Short periods of time. Sometimes even longer. Like 40 years or so. There will be a judge ruling the nation just to help them back to God. God's mercy. 
But what we find in Judges is not a description of these periods of peace. But what we find more is a period of anarchy. That anarchy is described more than the peaceful moments. Indicating to us that maybe God wants us to be warned. That if you apply even partial obedience, the consequences of those are severe. It could have been so much easier to perhaps just read Judges and see, oh, well, great. When a certain judge was in place, then it was a great time when we focus only on that. Judges focuses actually on the time outside of a godly judge ruling and governing. And it all started with this partial obedience. And we read that eventually it became complete disobedience. Partial obedience obedience resulted in complete disobedience. The sad thing is, as I said to you, that in Gilgal, we had this wonderful moment in Joshua, 20, in Joshua 4 and 5 where they celebrated what God was doing. And then here in chapter 2 of Judges, it's where we read about Gilgal and Bochum. It says in verse 1, Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum. That's where he addressed them about their sins and they were weeping. In one instance in Joshua, there's great joy. Another instance in, in Judges, there's weeping because of disobedience. And so to remain on a path of long obedience is to avoid even partial obedience, but to fully obey. When God said whatever he said to you, don't try to, do the shortcut route. How many of you like shortcuts? Hey? Man, I wish I could avoid bite bridge and just cut short. Just like go this way or go another route. I'd love to do that. Like, I'm going to go that route again. And in life, we try to do that. But it ain't going to work. God wants us to walk on this long obedience with Him. The last thing that I want to submit to you about... What could help us to stay on the road of long obedience from this particular portion is the principle of valuing leadership. We see that in Judges 1, it starts with after the death of Joshua. Joshua Judges 1 verse 1 says, After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites? Amazing the absence of a leader. In the past, we found that a leader would go, Moses would go, Joshua would go, Abraham would go. All the guys would go and approach God. Here we have the nation. They were leaderless. There were people who had prominent roles perhaps, like Judah had. But we find that leaders are absent. Hence God raising up judges to help the people of God into a place of peace again. And it's kind of like a new era begins here for the Israelites. And it foreshadows, in a sense, the chaotic conditions and apostasy that would prevail. Because there was not a leader in place. And I believe that leadership is still one of the most basic elements of God's pattern to establish His kingdom here on earth. You look at anarchy and what that resembles, where everybody can do whatever they want to. And we just refuse authority, God's authority, God's um, 
authority that he puts here on earth, it's anarchy. It's a mess. Nothing happens without leadership. Nothing good, rather. It starts, though, with us leading ourselves. Leading yourself is the most basic leadership role that you need to fulfill. We cannot lead people into anything unless you can lead yourself into what God has for you. So in a sense, all of us are leaders. And anarchy is avoided, firstly, when we lead ourselves into a relationship with God, into a walk with God, into obedience to God. It's your responsibility. We cannot blame others. And I know that things go wrong when it comes to leadership. We have seen many, many examples of that. And when man is still going to be around here on earth, we will still see many weak and, and poor examples of what leadership looks like. I understand. And, and I'm standing up here as a leader, very aware of the fact that, that I am absolutely independent upon God to help me lead in the way that will be honoring towards Him and will be guiding people in the right way. But I'm just a human being. But firstly, your leadership of yourself is absolutely key. You cannot blame it on a leader if you're in a mess spiritually. You're going to lead yourself out of that mess then and seek Him and come to Him and find yourself under the cover of God. You cannot be away from God's cover. You move away from God's cover, you're an open target. You're all on your own. We come into line with Him and we submit ourselves to Him. And we say, God, what you decide for me is what I do. And then God says, well, there's the initial government that comes from heaven. And then there's the given government that I give you here on earth. Which we have in this nation, although we don't like it. But there's a government here on this nation. And then God also gives us government amongst each other. And this is not a place now to kind of like say, whoa, you've got to submit to me. And, but the reality is that in a church there's government. And the moment we step away from God's appointed government in a nation, in a, in a church context or whatever it is, in school and in business, we step away from the government that, that God gives us to help us. None of us can work on our own. We need each other. We need guidance. None of us can ever live or function without godly leadership in our lives. We are called to live under cover, under the cover and authority of God, and, and then under the cover and authority of man. Without this, we have anarchy. And we find this even in church and outside of church, that there's anarchy when people refuse authority. And here in, in Judges, we find it, that there was great authority in place, and may I say that authority, when it, when it works perfectly well, it, it pairs up with something else called humility. Authority and humility, when they go together, such a beautiful, beautiful thing in place. And that's what we as, as, as godly people need to aspire for. Because who else, can, who else can portray true humility but the people of God that are in relationship with Jesus, who, ex, who is the greatest example of humility? 
So when we have authority that comes in and we're all like, hey, I want to be in charge. But when humility is coupled with that, paired with it, it's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. Remove that from each other, it's a mess. And here we find people refusing the one because they couldn't be humble. And I want to encourage you that for us to stay on a long road of obedience in the same direction would require of us to be in submission to one another, to listen to each other, to be open for input. That when there are leaders in a church, I'm talking church as a whole, it's not there to, to rule over people, but it's to serve people. It's to help them towards their godly purpose in life. And when that is not in place, then that leadership is, is missing the focus that they ought to have. And when you see things in our lives as the elders, when you see, wow, you're not guiding us towards a God-likeness, a Christ-likeness. You're guiding us towards us worshiping you almost. You need to talk to us because we need to stay in submission to what he has called us to be and to do. And so a long obedience in the same direction from this portion requires of us to have a personal faith that we're confident about. We know where we stand with Jesus. That we know who He is in our lives. That our faith in Him is not based on the faith that other people have and the fact that I come to a meeting on a Sunday. My faith is real and it's growing. If you're not there, talk to us. We'd love to help you, not judge you. The second thing that will be helpful for us towards a long obedience is the fact that we not only have faith, but we share it. We share it with people. We, we multiply ourselves. The third thing that will help us, folks, in this journey of being obedient for eternity's sake, until Jesus fetches us, we want to be obedient to Him, is that we avoid partial obedience. We say, God, everything that you ask of me, I'll do. And the last thing we do to help us on this journey towards long obedience is, God, I want to recognize the value of leadership. I want to recognize the value of authority in my life. But I don't want to be this, this independent thing on my own and, and just, you know, I come to a meeting like this, but when they to talk to me about, you know, just asking me about things, oh, don't, what right have you got to talk to me about these things? Now, I'm in submission. Not so that the church leadership can rule over me, but where we can help one another. If your idea of church leadership particularly is warped, it's most probably related to a, an experience that you've had in the past. And we need to help one another out of that into what God, through the New Testament pattern, gives us of what the church leadership is there for. And so may God help us. This journey towards the other side has highlighted so many things. And as a church, I believe that God has not just spoken to us to give us material to talk about, but He's given us this particular topic because He wants us to be effective in this promised land He's taking us into. And not just go and live there and eat of fruit and eat of harvest that we didn't even work for, but to be effective and what he has called us to be here in Bulawayo, in Zimbabwe, in Africa, and the rest of the world. It starts with your and my 
personal faith in him. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you this morning that we could have been on this journey, particularly through this portion um, in the Bible and the focus that we've had about the other side, because, Lord, you have something in mind and had something in mind for us to grab hold of. And I pray that we will not just put it aside now and move on, but I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will help us that we will truly understand what it means, what you have done to get us to the other side, and what it is that you've called us to be now that we are on the other side. God, I pray for people this morning that have not spiritually crossed over into a relationship with you. And you, my friend, if you're out there, this is not to condemn anybody, but just if you need to, to come to a place where you decide that Jesus is king of your life, you want to submit to him, you want to follow him, Please come and talk to us. But Lord, for us who have journeyed already with you, I thank you that we are no better than anybody else, that we are all on this incredible journey following you. And help us, Father, that as we live on the other side, that we will live for your glory, but live with a long obedience mindset, that I will want to do this for the rest of my life. Nothing's going to change this. I'm going to keep on doing this, and I'm going to keep on imparting this to others too. Father, I trust for that. Pray for your grace upon us as a church to live as people committed to a long obedience in the same direction. I trust you for that, Father, in Jesus' name.